Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Just before I begin this episode, I should say that this is part two of a double episode on Steampunk. So if you really want to, you can listen to this episode on its own, but it'll make a lot more sense if you listen to the previous one. So that's episode 30 first. On with the show. I'm Connor Reed with words to that effect. One way of thinking about steampunk is to divide it into two parts, the steam and the punk. The steam is the Victorian element, the fascination and engagement with the 19th century, whether satirising or poking fun at Victorian conventions and ideas, dealing with problematic aspects of empire and colonialism, celebrating the people and places, or utterly rethinking the science and technology of the era. The punk, on the other hand, is very much about building collaborative communities in resistance to contemporary capitalist consumer culture and technology. It's about maker culture and a DIY aesthetic, about fan groups, conventions and meetups. There's a strong connection, as we'll see, with other non-mainstream areas of performance culture, cosplay, circus art, street performance, burlesque. And all of these different areas come together in the rapidly growing number of guests I've spoken to about this topic. The more I looked at it, the more I realised there were just so many angles you can come at it from. It is full of the most creative people. Like, I've met so many artists and writers and makers, and, and they're all people who are up for collaborating and up for doing stuff and working with you just for the joy of working with you. It takes the kind of insights and um, historical events that are contemporary to a particular period, but adds to them a kind of futuristic technology that we associate with very cutting age 21st century innovations, right? So it's that kind of combining that I think is the defining feature of steampunk. Um, And some people would, um, you know, say it's absolutely steampunk. Some people might say it doesn't quite fit into that category. A friend of ours had described it as uh, uh, Tesla punk. And the whole idea was to really incorporate the audience into the show. It wasn't just you coming to a show and you sitting there politely watching a show and going home. The whole point was to create more of a community. Let's recap then. The voices you just heard in order of appearance were, firstly, Professor Elemental, the British hip-hop or chap-hop artist we heard from in part one. His music is both comical and satirical and covers a range of modern issues through the Victorian steampunk character of the professor. The second voice was Professor Rachel Bowser, who we also heard from in part one, an American academic and expert in the area of steampunk, who outlined the history and some of the main strands of the movement. This week, I talked to three more guests who come at steampunk from alternative angles again. So the third and fourth voices you heard were Jen and Chris Sugden, creators of the hugely successful audio drama Victoriosity who come to steampunk from a background of Victorian-era research, comedy writing, and theatre performance. And finally, you heard Bella Agogo, an award-winning burlesque performer and producer who's at the centre of the steampunk community here in Dublin, and whose regular performances and events draw heavily on steampunk and its aesthetic. 
there are lots of overlaps between these guests, just as there are lots of overlaps between the multiple strands of steampunk culture. But I think the guests on this episode excellently sum up the two strands I want to explore here, the steam and the punk. So let's start with the steam. The audio drama podcast Victoriosity can be a little hard to sum up. Victoriosity is a detective comedy audio drama um, that's set in a reimagined Victorian past. This is Jen Sugden, who, along with husband Chris, created Victoriosity. And the reimagined Victorian past that Jen describes is a really magical feat of inventive and engaging world-building. The story, which has just finished its second season, is set in even greater London in 1887, a city that has grown in size to encompass most of the south of England, and whose disconcerting proportions make its inhabitants feel sort of faint-hearted if they even try to think about it in too much detail. The city is powered by the Tower, a massive electricity-generating edifice at the centre of the city, guarded by the feared yeoman warders. Queen Victoria is a cyborg, Isambard Brunel commands an indefatigable army of engineers, and everything is, well, very steampunk. And in this unfathomable city, a cynical detective named Archibald Fleet is tasked with solving a high-profile murder alongside a rookie journalist, Clara Entwistle, who proves to be as stubbornly persistent as she is astute. Miss Entwistle... What a coincidence. Coincidence be damned, you followed me here. No, but I did take a note of what was written on that appointment card. And I bought you that cake you didn't know you wanted. No, wait, I ate it on the Voltaic Omnibus. Marvellous, aren't they? Omnibuses? Mrs Pomligan's cakes. I mean, they are almost certainly not cakes, but even so. Now, let's not argue, Inspector, because as soon as you've seen the knack I have for ferreting things out, you'll wish at once you'd agreed to work on the case together. So let's save time by skipping your refusal. I'm your ginger bun. Do you see? I beg your pardon? Figuratively speaking, I'm your Mrs Pomligan's ginger bun. Doesn't seem that appealing, but gets the job done. Miss Entwistle, this case must be handled with sensitivity and care by a trained officer from Scotland Yard. Now, if you'll excuse me... Don't ring the bell! It seems an unavoidable part of this. We haven't agreed our plan. What do you mean, our? First person plural possessive. That's clearly not what I meant. Please just allow me to... Can I help you? Yes. When you listen to the show, you immediately notice the fascination with Victorian culture and history. Unsurprising when you learn of Jen and Chris's backgrounds. Uh, but the original idea, way back when, came out of a kind of a funny mix of the books that were in our flat at the time. Um, so primarily, uh, it's I, I'd say it's influenced by Jen's um, deep research into the origins of detective and sensation fiction in the Victorian period, about which... Jen should absolutely explain. <laughs> I should not. I have a PhD in uh, Victorian literature from uh, Royal Holloway. Um, and uh, my um, research focused on... Actually focused on changing narrative space of the courtroom in the 19th century. Um, but a large part of the thesis is dedicated to how that new child model um, is uh, used as a narrative mode in sensation fiction and how that influences the development of um, detective narratives as well in the 19th century. Um, so I had loads of books on uh, on 19th century detective fiction, but also loads of 19th century uh, detective uh, fiction uh, on our shelves. Mm. Um, so I definitely wanted... And I'm a big... I love Victorian literature. It's uh, my 
sort of true passion. So I knew I wanted it to be set in a kind of Victorian past. Mm. Um, and Chris was reading H.G. Wells. <laughs> yeah, basically that plus H.G. Wells. And you uh, start to kind of get closer to where, where the ideas were coming in. So, yeah, I, I'm, my, my grad studies were in a field called science and technology studies. It's essentially about the relationship between science and technology and society, how people... Um, well, it has a lot of aspects, but how people make sense of the technological change that's going on around them, the different narratives that people put together to explain it, to oppose it, to try and drive it forward, um, that, you know, that, that plays out in quite complex ways. And yeah, the, the genesis probably in the middle of all of that was reading uh, Invisible Man um, by H.G. Wells and starting to kind of trigger this idea of um, the Victorian scientific mind, the Victorian period as being one of kind of incredible imagination, um, certainly in British history. That's how kind of how we think about it in a lot of ways, that it was a period of incredible uh, innovation. Um, but what if you had that imagination coupled with the kind of resources that uh, people have today um, with the greater, you know, uh, advances in technology? Um, th this came about also through reading uh, quite a lot about uh, Nikolai Tesla. And I think that the most obvious jumping off point um, into the world of Victoriosity is um, this project that Tesla had uh, worked on or designed but never completed, which was called the Wardenclyffe Tower, which uh, was based on the eastern seaboard of the US. And the idea was it was a tower that would beam electricity outwards uh, across, you know, miles and miles uh, of countryside and people would just be able to get electricity from there. And if you've listened to Victoria Astor, you'll know that we've dropped that idea straight in. Interestingly, Jen and Chris didn't set out exactly to write a steampunk audio drama. In fact, they kind of stumbled into the area. Steampunk was something we kind of became aware of sort of while we were doing it. After we were quite far into it already, I think we started learning that, hang on, we're, we're sort of writing something that seems to mirror quite a lot an existing um, you know, literary uh, uh, movement. But, but I, you know, like a friend of ours had described it as uh, uh, Tesla punk, which I think is the most, that, that's probably the most direct way of describing the, the genre, right? Like, I think we, we, we've tried to make sense of it by thinking, like, you know, what, what is steampunk? Like, I think we understand it in a couple of ways. You, you're thinking about um, an, a period of an, an advanced, a scientifically advanced Victorian period. Sure, no question. That's that's obviously what we're doing and what a lot of authors have done going way back to the Victorian period. And then you've got a, a different side of it, which is uh, focused more specifically on steam and the, the sort of direct like contradictions and juxtapositions of let's put steam next to um, uh, typewriters or computers, things that did, just did not go together at all. And that, I think, also is sort of just one step away from the maker-artist, uh, maybe cosplay kind of side of things, which is, uh, and, and sort of graphic design side of things, which feels extremely sort of aesthetically based, right? Like, I think a lot of what we see as steampunk um, it seems like it's steampunk in large part because of its aesthetic. Yeah, so I, I think w when we talk about steampunk, I, I feel like it's a mixture of all of those things at once. And some of them, I feel like Victoriosity fits in extremely easily, and other ones don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's interesting. I mean, the genre boundaries are just fluid, aren't they? And, um, you know, it's very hard to, to pigeonhole um, texts or audio dramas or, you know, lots of things. 
Um, and I think the answer is probably, you know, even though we weren't aware when we started writing it that we were writing in the steampunk, steampunk genre, we clearly are to a degree. Yeah. Um, and some people would, um, you know, say it's absolutely steampunk. Some people might say it doesn't quite fit into that category. Genres can be flexible and their boundaries blurry. And listeners come to Victoriosity for any number of reasons. For the detective, science fiction or steampunk elements. For the comedy, simply because they love audio drama and the show is exceptionally well produced and acted. When I was chatting to Chris and Jen, they pointed out that in the US they often get recommended as simply British comedy, a category which for them seems sort of vague and unhelpfully broad, but obviously works for some listeners. But what runs beneath all of these different categorizations and classifications is the historical aspect. Real Victorian London and the decidedly fictional even greater London. The Victorian element is one of the few things that more or less everyone can agree is a core part of steampunk. And the Victorian era is more popular than ever in our culture today. I mean, there are certainly connections you could make between steampunk and hipster culture, between a nostalgia for an imagined simple Victorian past, and our current cultural obsession with products that are handcrafted and hand-roasted and artisanal and so on. God, I'm thinking of, you know, you said um, hipster culture. That's Rachel Bowser again. And the, and the craft beers and the pour over coffee and the whatever. And I, of course, got an immediate picture in my head of a bunch of men with um, the beards and overly elaborate mustaches, right, which have a certain Victorian look to them themselves. Um, and yeah, I think that um, that nostalgia, right, for um, in some ways the kind of handmade um nature of a lot of those products and a lot of the routines of day-to-day life um, is a salve um, for what can feel like a more hectic life or just a more sort of alienated and distant relationship to technology. If you've been listening to words to that effect for a while now, you will probably realize that I am, like uh, all of the people who feature on this episode, fascinated by the Victorian period. And I think Part of the reason for this is that the Victorian era is close enough to the present that we sort of get it, we understand the motivations of people living in Victorian times, but it's also distant enough that it can be weird and funny, sometimes terrifying and sometimes just utterly baffling. Modernity, as we understand it today, came together in this period. And it is a really exciting period. Um, You know, it's one of just vast technological advancement and change and huge kind of social changes, the rise and consolidation of the middle classes, like which helps, you know, sort of frame how we understand our own place now even. Um, I think... And I think also, actually, the probably the Victorian period, like, it, it feels closer to us. I think a lot of um, challenges, um, you know, in terms of, like, religion, science, you know, technology, the change is more akin to akin to what we experience now, even albeit a, a little different, well, quite a lot different, but it's closer to that than, say, um, you know, like Elizabethan England, the, you know, we can, there are things that we recognise in the world, World, you know, trains, for example, you know, it's, it's, it's different, but there are similar elements and um, the world moves at such a fast pace. And I think the Victorian period is one of those periods where suddenly people begin to experience that fast pace of change and life and um, sort of 
experiencing the world as a sort of complex, confusing reality in a way that possibly chimes with our own, but still it sort of has that, maintains that interest of being distant and um, an interesting kind of past historical time. So maybe that's part of its appeal. I, I think that, that that's definitely a huge parallel. And, and we've explored that a lot in Victoriosity is, you know, the, the description of the city as a, being somewhat overwhelming and quite hard to understand and come to terms with what's happening around you. And I think that is something that, you know, people genuinely feel about today. And I think it's something Victorians genuinely felt back then. Well, I think there's this case that you told me about, Jen, where a criminal committed some kind of crime and got on a train to escape and then was apprehended at the other end of the train line because of the telegraph, which would have been impossible a few years earlier. Like he would have just, he would have just been gone. Right. Uh, and the idea that that, that reality, you know, is, you know, your identity and your actions can spread around faster than, than you physically can. Um, which, you know, like 10 years earlier, you, you know, you're just in another place and that police force will never see you again. A stiff drink and an even stiffer sandwich later, Clara was on the train from London border north towards London Central. Without her mother to distract her, she found herself staring out of the window at the passing city. Some things have to be seen to be believed. Some things can be seen and still not believed. And a few things, when seen, cause whatever belief you had before to be thrown right out of the window. Hurtling through the unbroken urban fabric of even greater London, on a train with no engine and propelled by it was not clear what, Clara was having just such an experience. May I see your ticket, miss? I... but... but the... I said, may I see your ticket, miss? Oh, yes. Sorry. I was just looking out of the... the... the window. Describing the scale and richness of even greater London is a task that has sent many people quite mad. Suffice it to say that what Clara saw from her carriage window was an ocean of homes, shops, offices and public houses, all stitched together with roads and crisscrossed by an untidy lattice of rail tracks, stretching endlessly in every direction. A few minutes more of this and Clara would be in dire need of an extended rest at Didcot National Insanatorium. It was for this reason, and also because he knew that it would fall to him to take the unfortunate passenger there if it came to that, that the ticket inspector did the following. What are you doing? Why did you close the blind? The reality of it's not good for you, miss, pummels the mind. Trust me, easier just to shut the blinds and read the paper. My word. Sometimes, though, even when you're writing a comedy drama where Queen Victoria is a cyborg whose dead husband's mind is implanted inside her, the Victorians themselves are hard to beat. The piano oven, there was an oven that you, while you played your piano, it cooked meringues. Oh, so you could practice oh, nice. while, while, while watching making, the oven. Yeah, yeah, while sort of making the perfect yeah. meringue. I think yeah. it only did meringues. It was a sort of bizarre invention, right. and I thought only the Victorians. <laughs> yeah. And like, uh, you know, bicycles with sails on them. Where, yeah, and, and like this, this actually, you know, impacted our writing some of the time, right? Like the, the Victorians' imagination and the scale and the just like hubris of what they did so much of the time is like, some, it's hard to, it's hard to, you know, beat even when you're just writing about something that you're trying to invent so you know we were trying to riff on the idea of the um the the great exhibition and um 
that we, we eventually stopped doing that because the actual great exhibition was so immense and so incredible and so expensive and so outrageously luxurious in like what it brought from across the world, like polar bears and just like things that there's unimaginable like work that would have involved in it that you know, we, we couldn't really do any better than that right it's well, already it's it was, already a thing i think it was like late because it, it they moved it i don't know how they did this they um they, they built it in hyde park and then it got moved to the site where it eventually burnt down yeah um but um when after it closed down they kept it open as a sort of an exhibition center um and um the, uh, basically the, there was a, a show where a guy had it, it was a tightrope walker um, basically walked a tightrope with a with a stove and cooked an omelette on the tightrope, <laughs> and I just thought, well, we have to give up because you can't. Yeah. I can't be a a, a tightrope omelette chef. So the even greater exhibition does not feature in Victoriosity. Season two, however, concerns the hunt for an infamous stage magician and features magic, stage performers, and a circus in the air. Performance is at the heart of the season. In other words, I want to move from the steam to the punk. But before I do that, let's take a very quick break. Firstly, I want to remind you that if you're a fan of the show and you want to join a wonderful community of like-minded people, you can do so on Patreon. So if you head to patreon.com slash WTTE, you can join the community. There are lots of great perks to joining up, and it helps me to make great episodes. It helps me hopefully to make other deep dive double episodes like this if you've been enjoying this one. There are also going to be some exciting new rewards and some other stuff which I'm going to be updating very shortly so keep an ear out for that. Just head to patreon.com slash WTTE. Secondly, this podcast is a part of the amazing Headstuff Podcast Network and I wanted to play you a trailer from one of our other shows. Do you like listening to podcasts? Well, like I know you do. This is part of a podcast. I have a podcast. My name's Dave Coffey. I have a podcast called Phoning It In. It's an improvised phone-in show where I have a group of guests and they have no idea what they're about to call in to talk about until I introduce them on the air. It's gas crack. You can get it on iTunes or Stitcher, any of those, anywhere where you get, wherever you got this podcast, you can get, you can get my one as well. So it's called Phoning It In. Thanks for listening. Now, back to the show. So much of steampunk is about an aesthetic, a style, a look. Performance is key, whether on stage, among friends, or at a convention, or another gathering. Steampunks create, alter, refit, retrofit. And and I think that connects to the... Um, Rachel Bowser again. ...kind of ethos of the movement, which is very much a DIY maker kind of tinkerer culture, where... The people who are invested in it, in a maker movement, and the characters that are featured in the stories are people who make things, people who take parts that are lying about and sort of fit them together and try to create a new object out of the pieces that are available. And there's a real community to all this, an extremely collaborative one. I seem to have cultivated um, an audience of really delightful nerds, just the nicest people in the world, people who just, they just look out for each other. They did a a science fiction convention at the weekend and it was a perfect um, epitome of the kind of people who come to my show. So lots of people who like cosplay, lots of people of any kind of sexual orientation and completely different ages, quite a lot of festival party people sort of mixed in with that. I do lots of things like Boomtown and even some sort of kink events, so it kind of crosses over into that from time to time it's basically anybody who's slightly on the fringes or who who often doesn't belong 
in the mainstream or never really found their clique seem to gather towards steampunk and, if I'm lucky, gather towards me as well. That's Professor Elemental again, himself a regular performer at steampunk events across the world including a number of events in Dublin, organised by Bella Agogo. Well, my name is Bella Agogo, um, and I'm a burlesque performer and producer. I've been performing for 12 years. Um, I'm now currently Miss Burlesque Ireland 2018, which is a nice title to hold with crown and all. And for me, I grew up with a lot of interest in uh, fantasy and sci-fi, um, even, the, you know, Geiger and Alien and things like that, Indiana Jones, like lots of different things coming up as I was growing up. So it made a lot of sense to me. And then I was in a comic book store, um, Dublin City Comics, and Doc showed me a video of Professor Elemental. And I was like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Oh, my God, this is amazing. Um and I was already organising a show with that. And I've bathed in Earl Grey, I'm really that keen. And missionaries dismiss me for my single epiphany. The dip between him and me is a simple sip of British tea. So when times are hard and life is rough, you can stick the kettle on and find me a cup. Now when I say Earl Grey, you say yes please, Earl Grey. Yes please, Earl Grey. Yes please. When I say Assam, you say lovely, Assam. Lovely, Bella is a central part of the steampunk scene in Dublin, and while it's relatively small compared to Britain or the US, there's a similar dedication to collaboration and maker culture. And we used to have a best invention competition. And the whole idea was to really incorporate the audience into the show. It wasn't just you coming to a show and you sitting there politely watching a show and going home. The whole point was to create more of a community, uh, was to create more of a vibe, more of a buzz, and for people to actually bring something that they had made. Like many people, Bella stumbled upon steampunk and was intrigued by the blend of science fiction and history. So I was aware kind of of the aesthetic. I wasn't so aware of the name itself, steampunk. Um, so when I actually started coming across it, for me, I was like, oh my God, this is fabulous. This is so interesting. I love the Victorian and Edwardian aesthetic mixed with futurism, mixed with time travel, uh, mixed with fantasy, mixed with anthropomorphic beings all that kind of angle I thought was really really interesting I thought that the the fashion style was very interesting and yet even though you know you'd go for a very Victorian element there was still really so much freedom there to for people to do whatever they wanted and for Bella like for so many steampunks making adapting reusing is crucial for me the whole upcycling recycling reusing aspect um, of the steampunk genre and scene is very important to me because I am, even as a burlesque performer, I do upcycle a lot of my costumes. I do buy a lot from charity shops and kind of reimagine what's already there. Um, so that side of it for me actually is also very important as well. Um, but also the idea of being quite flippant about throwing things away and it's no good anymore and it's not you can't pass it on to somebody else, which is very much really what you had to do years ago because you couldn't just go into pennies and get a new pair of shoes do you know what I mean you had to go and get stuff redone and remade and refitted and and of course things you know going going back into those times items were made with much more skill and and much more quality now a lot of times you know they're plastic shoes and plastic heels and the plastic is bad quality so things are falling apart and someone might say to me oh it's only pennies I'll throw it away I'll get a new pair that really upsets me personally because that idea of throwing away 
it's quite careless. And again, there's that nostalgia for a always partly fictionalised time when artists were appreciated for their art. And again, that follows on to those who are making the things. You know, it's all about kind of mass production, which, you know, is definitely like, you know, with the Industrial Revolution, there is a mass production. But there's a very interesting song by Voltaire about like, oh, there's a McDonald's in every corner and the Starbucks there and everything's the same and the quality isn't there anymore. And we should go back to a time where, you know, artisans were, were looked after and had patrons because their work was valued. So all of that kind of angle for me, I think is also very important. So that's also for me, you know, making sure my performers are paid, making sure people are paid and not just doing it for the love of it. I love this idea, we'll say about the starving artist, but it's like, no, get paid. Get paid for your art. <clears throat> Did I mention my Patreon page? Is that patreon.com slash WTTE? Yeah, okay, great. So steampunk and burlesque are closely intertwined. I think for me, it's always about, particularly for the aesthetic, is that you buy something and it has a purpose, like it's a skirt or it's a jacket or it's a something. But I always take a step back and go, what could I, what else could it be? You know, there's never just one option. I think it's really important for creatives to really sit back and go, what are the options here? How can I twist it and turn it? Which is exactly what burlesque is. You take a thing, you take a theme or a character and you turn it on its head. Take a theme and turn it on its head. Hip hop, but by an Englishman dressed in a pith helmet with an imaginary orangutan butler. An audio drama set in Victorian London, but a London which has grown so large and complex it's beyond human comprehension. An analogue age reimagined with our knowledge of digital technology. Steampunk, in the end, can be whimsical, funny, satirical or profound. Like all science fiction, it looks to another time to reimagine our own. It can, in this way, be utopian in its outlook, striving to rethink the present by remaking the past blending and mashing up time periods to explore the history of how we came to live in our sometimes awe-inspiring, sometimes terrifying digital world. Steampunk asks us to create, to reuse, to repurpose, to build collaborative communities in the face of isolating technologies. If we really apply ourselves, if we do it ourselves, maybe we can reshape our present for the better. That's it for this double episode. I had a lot of fun making this one. I hope you enjoyed it too. A huge thanks to all of my guests this week. An episode with a literary critic, a hip-hop artist, two audio drama creators and a burlesque performer is a pretty good mix, I think. Professor Elemental, who you heard from briefly in this episode and far more extensively in the last, also provided the music for both episodes. And you can find out more at ProfessorElemental.com. His music is fantastic. Thanks also to Professor Rachel Bowser. As I mentioned in part one, her edited collection on steampunk is called Like Clockwork, Steampunk Pasts, Presents and Futures. And you can pick it up on Amazon and elsewhere. And I'll put a link on the WTTE website to that too. Bella Agogo organizes regular steampunk and burlesque events. Her next steampunk show is on September the 7th in Drop Dead Twice on Francis Street in Dublin. There will be local and international performers, including the wonderful Bella herself. She also hosts Dark Pearl Burlesque every two months in the Liquor Rooms in Dublin, and the next event is on June the 12th. You can follow her at Bella Agogo on Instagram or Facebook for more. And finally, Victoriosity. Two unbelievably good seasons, six episodes each, are waiting for you if you haven't heard the show. 
Chris and Jen were just finishing up the second season when I was chatting them, so they hadn't quite had a chance to just take a breath and think what was next. But they assured me there will be more, not just a season three, but hopefully some other one-off episodes and other glimpses into the world of even greater London. I will definitely be listening anyway. For links to all of these podcasts, books, music, live events, and more, go to the WTTE website. It is WTTEpodcast.com. There are also pictures, there's full transcripts, there's all the previous episodes, and lots and lots more. You can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at words to that effect, and I tweet at CEDread, C-E-D or E-I-D. Use the hashtag WTTE podcast if you're talking about the show. And don't forget to check out Patreon for rewards, bonuses, and other lovely things at patreon.com slash WTTE. So, that's it. I'm off to retrofit some goggles I found in a charity shop. I'll see you in two weeks. So you'd like to know about steampunk, would you, Jennifer? I suppose I can teach you a thing or two. Yeah. If you're all about steam and brass, and all you need to start is tea in a flask, sharp tech ears and a gleaming arc. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network.